This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where politicians on both sides of the aisle are trying to figure out how to bring tourists back to the Sunshine State. With that in mind, the governor hosts a roundtable discussion in Orlando about theme parks. Ron DeSantis says it's safe to visit Disney, Universal, or SeaWorld because of their emphasis on safety. We had a lot of people chiming in about, oh, to bring, have the numbers come down, you got to shut everything down or this or that. I think it showed you don't have to do that, but you need to keep society functioning. These are uh, examples of how that can be done safely and productively. The governor's also teasing a new public relations campaign. He wants to team up with the airlines to get more people to fly to Florida, and he insists air travel is safe. Officials in South Florida are also grappling with the collapse of their tourism economy, and unlike the governor, they believe mandatory masking is a big part of the solution. Most travelers, based on these surveys, say that they won't travel to places where there is not a mask mandate. The winter tourism season in South Florida usually begins in October. They're worried 2020 could be a lost cause. Happy belated birthday to the 19th Amendment. Wednesday was Women's Equality Day, but members of the Florida chapter of the National Organization for Women say the work is not done. I know we're living in this twilight zone that is the United States right now under the current administration, but we don't have to stay there. We can liberate ourselves come November. Today on the Sunrise Interview, we talk with Mike Zinn at the Congressional Integrity Project. That's an interesting name, isn't it? Well, anyway, they've got a new report on the finances of Florida's junior senator. It says Rick Scott refused to put his assets in a blind trust and increased his net worth by 55 million bucks during his first year in Congress. The laws and the regulations are not up to snuff because they kind of assume that people would act with integrity. And Scott doesn't really seem to give a damn about that. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man in a mohawk who stole a $6,000 pompapoo and then left his ID at the pet store. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, August 27th. The governor travels to Orlando for a roundtable discussion about Florida theme parks, including a cameo by a character who runs the Chocolate Emporium at Universal. Her stage name is Professor Dr. Penelope Taboo Tinker Toothsome, and she brought treats. Greetings, everyone! I'm Hello. I am Professor Dr. Penelope Tabot Tinker Toothsome, proprietor of the Toothsome Chocolate Emporium and Savory Feast Kitchen, and we brought some of my fantastic treats to share with each and every one of you today. Now you carry on. I'm going to go and make sure everything is precisely as it should be. That is what I'm best with after all. My mother always said, Chocolate does tend to make everything better, so I hope that you enjoy it. Her costume is best described as steampunk, including a top hat with goggles. Chocolate aside, the point of this roundtable was for the governor to give Universal, Disney, and SeaWorld a public forum to talk about all the things they've done to make their parks safe to visit. The governor says they've gone above and beyond. You know, we're here today partially uh, to discuss what I think has been a success story. Many of them have been able to bring back, I think, over 90% of their full-time uh, employees are back. Now they don't have uh, quite as many of their part-time because you know, we're, we're not in full demand yet. Uh, but, but that's been something uh, that, that's been successful. I know Universal SeaWorld opened in June with the parks, Disney at the beginning of July. Um, and as you know, Disney came online, Florida was at its apex in terms of uh, coronavirus infections. And then it's, it's, it's gone down. We've seen declines in, in all the key metrics uh, since the middle of, of July. And so I think that that's testament to the, the lengths that they've gone at these parks uh, to create safe environments. 
you haven't seen these parks being major drivers of that, and I think it's because uh, they're really uh, going the extra mile. And so uh, this, the operations have allowed thousands and thousands of Floridians to get back to work, uh, but it's also provided safe environments for thousands and thousands of families, not just here in Florida, uh, but throughout uh, the rest of the country. Um, and if you look at uh, the picture of what we're seeing here in the state of Florida, uh, I think we've seen consistent declines across, um, across the major metrics. We had a lot of people chiming in about, oh, to bring, have the numbers come down, you got to shut everything down or this or that. I think it showed you don't have to do that. You need to keep society functioning. These are uh, examples of how that can be done safely and productively. The governor also believes airline travel is safe, and he's contemplating some sort of PR campaign with the airlines. We're going to be doing something uh, in the near future with some of the some of the airlines that service Florida. If you had asked me, uh, maybe at the beginning of March about about like air travel, you know, I would have said you're in an enclosed environment, seating close. You know, that's probably not not an ideal thing in terms of minimizing you know viral transmission. Um, but you know, we've seen flights operating obviously from far fewer than before the pandemic. Uh, but it hasn't been a, a, a major vector for whatever reason, um, you know, of, of, of outbreaks. Um, now, obviously, if someone is infected and they come somewhere, then that, that, that could be something that happens after they get off. But it really hasn't done that. So you know, obviously, the, the, the drivers, we, we welcome that. But, um, you know, I think that these, the, these airlines, I don't know if it's, if it's just how they're flying or I know they do do safety stuff, but uh, it, is, um, it has not been what I think uh, I would have anticipated. And so, you know, as we're looking at all these things, the, the, the evidence of the demonstrated experience is the most powerful uh, information that we have to be able to make, uh, to make decisions about, about things, um, you know, going forward. So um, I'm looking forward to, to, to meeting with them and discussing some of the ways um, forward there. DeSantis isn't the only one trying to revive the tourism industry. Miami Congresswoman Donna Shalala says South Florida doesn't work without it. My district has been devastated. It's totally dependent on crowds. Miami Beach has a population of about 90,000. Last year they had 10 million visitors. Unless the visitors to conventions, to as tourists, um, I represent the port of Miami, and the cruise lines, unless they feel like it's safe to come back, uh, we cannot maintain our economy without large numbers of people, literally crowds. And uh, that means that we have to starve this virus down to very small numbers so that people feel safe to come back. But right now we have crowds spread and we cannot make the case that it's safe to come down to South Florida until we literally starve this virus, hit it with a hammer. Andy Savitt spent two years running the federal centers for Medicare and Medicaid services during the Obama administration. He says there is a way for South Florida to get back in the game, but only if safety is the number one priority and people know it. You can make South Florida a beacon, and there's no reason we put our minds to it that we can't do that. And you can have a campaign which says Florida safe or something like that, because safety is the attribute people are looking for. People know it's warm down there. People know it's nice. People like the beaches. All those things are good. What people want to know is, is it also safe? There should be a very simple four or five part plan you can put forward, which says, hey, here you can do everything outdoors. All the indoor transmission that occurs in Las Vegas. And if you stay home in Minnesota and in Chicago, this is the one place in the country you can be outdoors. Secondly, 
Um, I think there is a lot of substance and a bit of show, but there's something about, look at what we've done to our airports. We have these little fever readers. We have all of these other kinds of things which just send the signal to people that it's safe. People like that. They're looking for those signals. Stacy Ritter at the Greater Fort Lauderdale Convention and Visitors Bureau says their surveys show the number one concern for would-be tourists is safety, including a mandatory mask requirement, which the governor has refused to impose. Most travelers, based on these surveys, say that they won't travel to places where there is not a mask mandate. If people are not following that rule, then they don't want to go there. So it's critically important, um, not just for those of us in Broward County, but for the state to implement a mask mandate to bring people back here to Broward County. Now, I recognize it's probably not going to end up being statewide, and thankfully Broward County has um, a mask mandate, with the exceptions of outdoor activities. But um, it will come back slowly as long as we see people still following the rules. They're wearing masks. They are socially distancing. Um, we are an open air destination starting in October, which is our season. People want to come here as it gets colder up north. People can socially distance here on the beach without a problem. You can walk around uh, and socially distance without a problem. So we anticipate that unlike larger cities like New York and Chicago, it'll be easier for us to recover because of the fact that we are outside 12 months out of the year, 365 days. But we have to continue to encourage people, in some cases require them, to follow the rules. As long as we're talking COVID, let's update the numbers. Wednesday's report from the Health Department shows 3,220 new cases, increasing the statewide total to 608,722. We also added 155 new fatalities, increasing the statewide death toll to 10,872. Two more things to report on the COVID front. A state task force is recommending that the governor modify his order that closed nursing homes to visitors to allow visits by family members as long as they engage in social distancing. Hugs would be limited to specially designated persons. But the relaxation of restrictions would only apply to homes that haven't had a new case of COVID for at least 14 days. The governor's press office also sent a release saying the Department of Economic Opportunity will submit Florida's application to participate in the Lost Wages Assistance Program that provides up to $300 per week for unemployment. It's a far cry from the $600 per week under the CARES Act, but it's better than nothing, and it's still more than the state's maximum unemployment benefit. Now, the governor made this decision before the roundtable events, but he never mentioned it. Two possible reasons here. He didn't want to deal with questions about unemployment. It's his least favorite subject these days. And he didn't want the media to fixate on unemployment at the expense of the theme parks. And Professor Dr. Penelope Thibault Tinker Toothsome. Greetings, everyone! <laughs> Did I mention steampunk? A happy belated birthday to the 19th Amendment that gave women the right to vote. Wednesday was the 100th anniversary of the suffrage amendment and has been designated as Women's Equality Day. Daniela Levine Cava is a Miami-Dade commissioner who's running for mayor, and she says the fight for equality continues. Let's just reflect upon what it took to get this passed 100 years ago. So much struggle, so much humiliation, so much ridicule, so many marching, so many protesting, jailed. And then not all women, not all women were franchised. We know that our Black sisters had to continue the fight until 1964. And we are still not equal. We're not equal when it comes to pay. We're not equal when it comes to discrimination. We're not equal when it comes to workplace policies, when it comes to family leave. We are not equal. And especially women of color, 87 cents on the dollar for white women as to what men make. And it's in the 60 cents 
for Black and Hispanic women. So we must continue the fight. So on this 100th anniversary, let us commit to continue the fight for our rights and for the rights of everyone who's been pushed aside, who's been the victim of discrimination, who's been the victim of prejudice, who's been the victim of humiliation. And so ladies and men who support ladies, let us continue the fight. State Representative Loran Osley of Tallahassee is running for the state Senate this year, and she says the COVID crisis has shown we still have a long way to go. We've come so far, but I think it's really important to recognize that we still have so far to go. This pandemic is uncovering fault lines that have existed in our society for far too long. Decades of cuts to public health, decades of cuts and disinvestment in public education, a childcare system that doesn't work, a very broken unemployment system, and centuries of systemic and structural racism that have created enormous disparities across our communities. All of this falls heavier on women, and particularly women of color. So today, we should celebrate this really important milestone, but we can honor the sacrifices of so many by pledging right here and right now to do everything in our power to make sure that every citizen exercises by voting, registering to vote, voting, vote by mail, whatever we need to do, because as we've all said, and we, anyone who's watching this week and watched last week knows, this election is the most important in our lifetime. So we need to vote like our life depends on it. State Representative Dottie Joseph of North Miami was far less diplomatic when she talked about the importance of the November election. I know we're living in this twilight zone that is the United States right now under the current administration, but we don't have to stay there. We can liberate ourselves come November. We can do all of the things that Florida now has been fighting for from day one. We can live in a world where men and women are equal. We can um, get rid of Russian agent warrants once and for all so that he can stand for the crimes that he has clearly committed but is covered by executive privilege. We can do that. Um, in Florida, by the numbers, we are a blue state that gets politricked into voting purple and red. We don't need to let that happen this time. We can carry it by a landslide. We can do what they've done in some of these other elections where they, they do everything they can to make it harder from tampering with mail to making longer lines. It doesn't matter how long the line is. We will stay there because we know what it took for us to get to this point. And I'm telling you ladies, if we don't do what we need to do this round of election, we may never have a chance to do it because the autocracy is coming, the tyranny is here, if we're watching what's going on in Oregon and what's going on with our mail, this is literally the election that will change not only our history here in the United States, but also change the entire world order, depending on what happens between our president and the person who is um, ruling Russia, who's literally hunting down our servicemen abroad with impunity because our president is, I can't even say our president, this man in the White House is beholden to him. Remind me never to antagonize Representative Joseph. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, a new report from the Congressional Integrity Program says Florida's junior senator in Washington doesn't appear to have any, but he's definitely making bank. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. 
Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Mike Zinn, a senior analyst at the Congressional Integrity Project. Earlier this week, they issued a damning report on Senator Rick Scott, who increased his net worth by at least $55 million during his first year in the Senate. We launched a couple months ago, and we're, we're primarily looking at the records of senators who are in the majority, who are pushing policies uh, that are really enriching themselves off of their time in office. And I think in under normal circumstances, a lot of this would be covered or will get more scrutiny. But when everything on the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue is getting so much attention, it's a lot of these folks are just kind of getting a free pass. So we're just trying to shine a light a little bit more on these folks' conduct. So Rick Scott was a bit of a legend in Florida when he ran because of the, the fraud allegations when he ran the HCA. and that, I'd you know, say infa- infamous, infamous, right? Yeah. More than a legend. <laughs> so how has he built on that since? There are a couple things. One, his record as governor continues to dog him, as you said, uh, you know, Governor DeSantis's briefing now, obviously the unemployment issue has continued to and just kind of the incompetence. Uh, that he, he left the state in has continued to dog him in recent months. What you've seen is kind of his financial um, position, which he obviously made a ton of money uh, off of fraud before he was governor. He did all sorts of things to circumvent uh, establishing a blind trust and actually you know, separating himself from his finances while in office. And there were any number of scandals that I'm sure you know much better than I do about. And now what you've seen is in the Senate, which you really has pretty lax rules over senators uh, managing their finances. What you've seen in past decades, you had very wealthy senators. This is not a new thing. A lot of them put their money in blind trusts and didn't manage them. Herb Cole from Wisconsin did this. You know, he owned a chain of like Kmart's basically, Kohl's that are big in the Midwest. Put it in a blind trust. He didn't manage it. He didn't put his thumb on the scale in the Senate. Rick Scott has structured his finances in such a way that it's very difficult to tell what he's doing. And you only have a little bit of a sense of what his financial interests are. And even from that little sense, you can see that he's profiting a ton from his time in Washington. And we only know a small part, a small part of that. Uh, his office responded, this is all old news. To some extent, they're right. His corruption is known. Just because it's known doesn't mean it, may make it any less nefarious. So when you say a bunch of money that he's made since coming out of the Senate, what are we talking about here? From what is known, some, what he declared that he hasn't basically moved under his wife's name has increased by $55 million, so roughly 30% in one calendar year. That's, that's a pretty astonishing sum in, in one year when he should be really focused on a whole bunch of other things uh, aside from growing his fortune even more. Is he still using that whole concept of a family trust instead of a blind trust so that he still has, you know, the, the wife is still tuned into what's going on? Exactly it. And like I said, the, the Senate rules around this are very relaxed because 
people used to act with more integrity. You know, like you're seeing with with Trump breaking every norm this week at the RNC. Uh, people used to not try to put their their finger on the on the scale uh, to benefit themselves. And so the, 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 the laws and the regulations are not up to snuff because they kind of assume that people would act with integrity. And Scott doesn't really seem to give a damn about that. I, I guess that raises the question, does integrity really matter in American politics these days? I mean, I think when, you, when you're watching everything now, I think it's, a, it's a certainly a valid question. But I think also, like, you, you can't really have uh, – you can't uh, like concede defeat on this. I think at the end of the day, people are still going to be questioning uh, if their elected officials are working on their behalf. I mean, and then you look at the economy in Florida right now that's so service or is service industry oriented. And, you know, instead of really getting on top of COVID and getting things, trying to get things somewhat back to normal, I mean, Rick Scott's more focused on trying to investigate, you know, what Joe Biden did five or six years ago and like spreading these conspiracy theories. And meanwhile, in Florida's economy is hurting and it, the numbers are still just horrific and it doesn't have to be that way. So I think you have to continue to point this stuff out because it does affect people's lives in a very, very real way. So what are you hoping will result after the release of this report? You know, I think you have to change the political calculus for these folks. If when someone is profiting hand over fit just over their time in office and they get away with it, they're going to do it more and they're going to be more aggressive and more flagrant. I think when you call it out, it just changes their political calculus. So I think someone like Rick Scott continues to put themselves first. Uh, and if it's not in his political interest to to basically pursue policies that help him and hurt everyone else, uh, you know, you just want to change that political calculus. With these senators, I mean, they're really vocal about Hunter Biden. I mean, half the you'd think Hunter Biden was running for president from watching the RNC last night. But I think, you know, all these folks, they're very wealthy like Rick Scott, but they don't seem to have a mirror. Right. Their families are profiting off of their time in office and they're spreading these like debunked conspiracy theories against Joe Biden. And when you take a look under the hood, it's pretty flagrant how his daughter did this, his former son-in-law was benefiting from his time in office in the governor's office, and certainly the, the assets in his wife's name. We don't know what's going on there. So I think all of these issues deserve more scrutiny, especially given Scott's rhetoric. As you heard, the senator's press office responded to the report by calling it old news, and it is to a certain extent. Floridians knew all about his history of fraud and elected Scott three times. But making 55 million bucks and increasing his net worth by a third during just one year in the Senate, that, my friends, is new. Your calendar of events begins at 9 when the Florida Elections Canvassing Commission meets to certify the results of the primary election. The University of Florida Board of Trustees starts a two-day retreat in Volusia County at 9. At 10, the South Florida Water Management District Governing Board holds an online forum on issues related to sending water south from the central Everglades to the Everglades National Park. The Florida Supreme Court releases weekly opinions at 11. The Northwest Florida Water Management District Governing Board meets by conference call at 1. The Florida Hurricane Catastrophe Fund Advisory Council meets in conference call at 1.30. And at 5.30, the Florida International University Board of Trustees will hold an online meeting to talk about repopulating campus and other academic locations amid the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Finally today, a Florida man is charged with stealing a $6,000 dog from a pet store in Pembroke Pines. The manager told police a man sporting a mohawk asked to see a pompapoo. That's a cross between a Pomeranian and a toy poodle. Well, they brought out a pupper named Toby. The guy began acting erratically, and then he ran out the door without paying, saying he had to get the dog to the vet. Police had no trouble finding 47-year-old Anthony McLaughlin because he left his ID and his bicycle at the pet shop. He had also filled out a form to buy the doggo on credit, so they even had his social security number. McLaughlin is charged with grand theft. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.